0: Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, alongside GBB Live, the 3ND Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, writing, reviews, whatever you need to do on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SP and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than my co host, the biggest hater of John Moran. It is Nathan Chester himself.
1: The biggest hater. I think he's the John. biggest hater. John and I are cool right now, man. Do you not see like how I'm going to write an apology letter? I I posted that off the uh, GBB Twitter last night. Um, You make two pivotal threes in the fourth quarter and overtime. Look, I'm going to give you your respect. I said he couldn't shoot at the beginning of the night. He still can't shoot if we're being honest. But still, you come through in the clutch like that, I'm not going to be hating. And so I got to give an apology.
0: Hey, hey, he's shooting 38% from three this month. So
1: he's shooting 27% for the season.
0: Hey, look. He's, he's on the he's on the up and up. I, I don't care. He, he's on the up and up. He'll be fine. But, you know, there's a lot to unpack from last night's game. So I really want to get into that for this episode. I mean, for one, just to go off on a non Grizzlies tangent here. If there wasn't a case for Nikola Jokic to be the front runner for MVP, he, he just solidified it last night. I don't care that he was going up against an undersized Xavier Tillman or Brandon Clark. He he's just one of the most unique talents in the NBA. Like, I can't get over his feathery touch from wherever it is on the floor. He could be on the short on the short wing. He could be from beyond the arc. He could be in the paint. His just touch, regardless of who's on him defensively, is just really a sight to behold. Especially for a guy with his size and his peak athleticism.
1: He, um, you mentioned his feathery touch. Um, On that miscommunication between Grayson Allen and Xavier Tillman when Grayson was supposed to switch and take away that um, Jokic's three that he hit to put them up by three and effectively was the dagger. um, I don't even think that shot barely hit the net like it just (laughs) went all the way through but in defense of Xavier Tillman last night, it's not often that you see a guy's opposing matchup go off for 47, 15, and 8. And you think, wow, he did all that he could have done. (laughs) But that's exactly what I think about Xavier Tillman it's extremely rare to see a team get totally checkmated in a regular season game. That's something you'll see in the playoffs a lot because coaches go through their various adjustments on a game-to-game basis, and eventually there are no more adjustments to be made, and the other team has just figured the other team out. We saw that in 2015 with the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies. There was just nothing more that they could throw at Clay Thompson and Steph Curry to slow them down. Their spacing and their ball movement was just too much to overcome, but That's exactly what we saw last night. Um, They were throwing traps at Jokic, and they were able to force some turnovers. He had seven turnovers on the night, but he simply – two, he's the best passing big man in NBA history at this point. I don't think that's really a question. And when they threw traps at him, he would pick up hockey assists. He'd find open shooters, and he would tear the Grizzlies apart that way. And then you saw what happened when they tried to leave Tillman on an island alone with Jokic. And this is how other teams must have felt going up against Zach Randolph, like in the early 2010s, because um, it just felt inevitable. He was just being literally grinded to death in the low post, and you knew – Just maybe he might miss, he may miss a point blank bunny, but outside of that, there was nothing the Grizzlies could do. And really, it's a testament to how great John Morant was in overtime, that there were even moments that you thought the Grizzlies were going to win, because I didn't want to say it off the GBB account for the hate that I would receive, but I felt for sure that game was over going into overtime, not necessarily because of the change in momentum, but just because I knew they were just going to force feet Jokic and there was nothing Memphis could do.
0: You know, it's fair. And um, no, he, it's just the, what the MVP talents do. I mean, no matter what you throw at them, they're going to make shots. They're going to make big plays. They're going to find their teammates, whatever it is. Sure. I, I think also too, just, I do want to get into this too with Xavier Tillman and just his performance last night. He, he did, like you said, he did all he can against Nikola Jokic, even though Jokic shredded for, 47 points, 15 rebounds, eight assists. I will say one thing that's a, a little silver lining in there as well is from the traps and from ultimately just putting him in spots where he has to force the pass is they forced him to seven turnovers. I think that's a kind of a dub there, but Xavier Tillman's is just his emergence and his play, especially over the last couple of games, has been awesome. Uh, last night in particular, he had 18 points and 14 rebounds, his first career double double. And I know Joe Monax is just dancing in the streets because Jonas you know, Valanciunas was out and there's still somebody to go get rebounds. It's an interesting concept, you know, like five players on the floor are responsible for rebounds, not just one. It's truly a remarkable concept. But you know, I'm really just enjoying what we're seeing from Xavier Tillman from you know a rebounding standpoint, defensively, and one of the things that I've kind of beat the drum with on Twitter so much just his potential to shoot three pointers, especially from the corner. I want to say in the draft, he that on some like three point star workout or whatever, Xavier Tillman like created the highest of any rookie
1: yeah, on right. that drill. Yeah.
0: Um, hitting like 75% of his threes. So I think he's just showing his upside.
1: Sure, and he's over 30% from three right now. I don't have his um, stats in front of me for what he's shooting on corner threes, but it feels like he's hardly missed on them over the last couple of weeks. But um, I'm talking about this and my Valanciunas piece that will be released tomorrow but the Grizzlies really miss Jonas Valanciunas defensively last night against Jokic. And I think there's an underrated aspect to the defensive value of the traditional big man. And I think objectively speaking, Xavier Tillman, we're both so pleased with him to see how he's developing, to see how he is growing into a modern big man who can switch effectively, who can defend several positions, who is an effective rebounder in his own right. He has a role on this team going forward, but there is a place for guys who are good rim protectors. Jonas Valanciunas, he ranks in the 76th percentile for defending at the rim this year. Opponents are shooting 58% against him at the rim. And he is a big physical body that you can throw at someone like uh, Nikola Jokic. And at the end of the day, um, Jokic isn't getting 47 if Valanciunas is on the court last night. We know that Tillman did everything that he could do. And maybe Jokic is able to score in some more versatile ways against Valanchunas in a way that he couldn't against Tillman. Um, The Grizzlies are using Valanchunas and drop coverage that could lead to more mid-range and looks from three for Jokic, but um, off on stats, the Grizzlies are, are, the Grizzlies opponents are shooting three percentage points better from three when Valanchunas is off the court as compared to when he is on the court. So Yes, they're shooting better from the mid-range, but they're shooting worse at the rim and they're shooting worse from three, which kind of negates whatever impact the opponents are having from the mid-range area. But you look in overtime and Jokic is just grinding Tillman to death in the low post. And it's a check right? The Grizzlies have nothing left in the kitchen sink to throw ahead. Um, but having a big physical body like Valanchunas, to put up against somebody like Jokic, that holds real value. And it can have value in a playoff series as well. So, yes, Tillman is the more versatile and the superior defender. He fits the modern NBA better defensively than Jonas Valanchunas does. But you can't sell him short. There are plenty of nights where he can be very impactful on that end of the court, and last night would have been one of those games.
0: I think more specifically with post-defense especially just because – you know, he's seven feet tall. He's a physical player who's not afraid to use his body. And obviously, he's a veteran. He knows how to get away with foul calls. I mean, as we saw last night with Xavier Tillman, he got into foul trouble a little bit with uh, with Nikola Jokic and just tiki tack fouls, really. But I, I do think that Valanciunas is valuable in that sense. With the three-point shooting, I don't know if it's more about who is – who like what Jonas Valanciunas does rather than who's on the court. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas probably shares more of his minutes with Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks, who are the team's two best perimeter defenders from the three and four spot. And they they do a really good job of closing out and bothering three point shooters. But I, I wouldn't really look into the on off stats too much with that because when Jonas Valanciunas is off the floor, who are some guys taking over those minutes that could leak out to open threes? It's guys like Killian Tilly. It's guys like John Conchar. No disrespect to the Abraham All Stars over there. Uh, you have guys like Tyus Jones who isn't exactly closing out quickly from three. So I, I wouldn't look into that too much. And also, too, I think one thing that the main area where Jonas Valanciunas get, gets exposed is drop coverage in the mid range, as you know, guys like Keris LeVert, Malcolm Broaddan. Sure. Um, you know, Those kind of guys have kind of torched units, but no, I think especially last night. Not even just from a physicality standpoint, but just from a height standpoint, they needed somebody bigger to contest Jokic's shots. Because all he had to do against anybody the Grizzlies put on him, whether it was a trap or whether it was Tillman or whether it was Clark, all he just had to do was shoot over him. I mean, he's seven feet yeah. tall. Like, there's no other seven footer yeah. on the floor, and I, I think. I do think Valentinus would have been helpful, but, I mean, like you said, I know it's really tough to say he gave it all he can when his opposition scored 47 and got 15 rebounds and got eight assists, but Tillman did a fine job, even when he was on that island. It's just one of those things that Nikola Jokic is a top five, top seven player for a reason.
1: Yeah. He absolutely is. And that's why you can't really be that frustrated with the end result because it just felt inevitable. Um, I remember looking over at my dad on the other couch when the Grizzlies were up by four. And this is something I also want to talk about. You cannot play to not lose and expect to win a basketball game in the NBA. I was getting vibes and throwbacks to game one of the 2012 quarterfinals when they played against the Clippers, when the Grizzlies essentially stopped playing offense for the final seven minutes of that game, ran little to no offense, and then just threw up shots at the end of the shot clock while the Clippers just hit three after three after three, came back from 27 down, then we all had PTSD from that night. But... Um, the, last, the Grizzlies were up by 12, I think, of about 340 remaining, and they did not score again until about 40 seconds left in the game when John Morant was able to score a physical layup against Will Barton, but it was a lot of standing around, a lot of dribbling, and a lot of shots at the end of the shot clock while the Nuggets just methodically went through their offense through Jokic. And the Grizzlies, when it, and push came to shove and the Nuggets were going to run everything through Jokic, the Grizzlies just didn't have an answer for it. But, man, all they had to do in that 340 stretch was maybe make two or three shots. And that would have been enough to win the game when you have a 12-point lead. And, it, you know, you can't be that mad about it because it's not a game they should have won. They shouldn't have beaten Milwaukee on Saturday. But when you take a look in the standings, San Antonio and Golden State are winning right now. San Antonio and Golden State. The Grizzlies are just one game away from being out of the play-in entirely.
0: Oh, no, they're not, not entirely.
1: But, uh, San Antonio and Golden no. State are both one game back in knife and ten. Yeah, but
0: but New Orleans is eleventh right now, and they're three and a half games back from San Antonio, and okay. they're losing. Yeah. They've lost three in a row. So okay,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wrong on that, but but um, the teams that are behind them are closing in and you don't want to put yourself at risk of that. And you take a look and say, you know, maybe we're not expected to win this game, but you had them on the ropes and you want to be able to land that haymaker when you had the opportunity to do it. And so can you really get that angry about it to the point where you're thinking, what a horrible, awful loss. I'd probably say the New York game fits that mold a little bit better than this one, but you've got to be able to close out in those situations. and. Grayson Allen, he's having the best month of his NBA career. I will say clutch time has not been kind to him <laughs> over the last week. It has not, but, no. You know, that dunk attempt on the three-on-one, I for it's a dumb decision. I'm not going to defend it. It would have been hilarious if he had converted it. It would have been awesome. I blame D'Anthony Melton more for that because Melton was like running on his hip when he was driving to the rim. The spacing was awful. So either Grayson had to either finish at the rim or kick it out for a three on a three-on-one, which you don't really want to do. So there was that. And then Melton throws that outlet pass that didn't even have a chance. They got intercepted when they were up by three. My dad looked over and said, if I didn't know anything about the NBA or the Grizzlies and you told me they were actively trying to lose this game, I'd probably believe you.
0: Well, I will say yes that not the best uh, crunch time decisions there from Grayson Allen to Anthony Melton. Again, those guys are thirty year guys who let's be real; those two guys in particular, they weren't, they haven't been in a lot of crunch time moments. I mean, Anthony Melton was in some last season, but Grayson Allen really wasn't. I mean, a little bit in the bubble, but not not really. And I also would argue yes that Jokic poster attempt was a really dumb decision there was a little bit of a no call as well there was a yeah. slight shove from Jokic, and it's weird whenever it's been kind of common in today's nba if a guy's up in the air and you make any sort of contact with them it's a foul because you're affecting his landing and the nba is really like cracked down on that so it was a weird no call there the outlet pass it's it's really tough to just find like culprits like you said and like last night's loss i mean it's really just pointing down to Jokic. But I do want to say too. I know you were kind of like whatever about the offense because it just kind of I guess stagnated and didn't have a lot of actions, playing playing to lose, whatever, or playing not to lose. But just how John Morant was able to step up to the challenge and really go toe to toe with Jokic sure. in the in that final regulation periods, like that was just sensational, and he just kind of reminded everybody of the kind of talent that he is, the way he could take over a game. I think he maybe a little personal vendetta against ESPN for having Michael Porter Jr. ahead of him in the ESPN 25 under 25 rankings, mm-hmm. but he went toe to toe with him and he made some tough shots. He made some tough drives and he really just, I think one of the things that kind of got to them with that offense is they're, they're going to run with job. Cause he's, he kind of just, you can tell it's just like, all right, give me the ball. I'm going to go get a bucket. And what do you expect? He has freaking Chimpazo on him. I don't even know if that's what he's saying. Okay, okay. Say In
1: quick interjection because I see the Argentine section of Twitter got a little bit fed up last night by Ja's comments. That uh, I, some reporter, I think from, I think it was from Peru, asked him said, "What do you think about Composo's defense?" And Ja said, "I had thirty six and 12. I mean, I think that speaks exactly. For yeah, uh, Campazo. Is not a good defender. He's, he's five just annoying. Leg. He's an annoying defender. All that chest guarding, all that grabbing—it's annoying theater. It's not good defense. It will not help him against any star that he's having to guard. He's not a good defender. He acts like he is, and he isn't. And he showed that last night.
0: See, yeah, but I think one thing that I guess this is like important as far as the con- the construction of this Grizzlies team going forward. Granted, I think fatigue got to them. It's not them as in like the entire team, but the guys, the primitive guys that that aren't named John Morant. so like Grayson Allen, D'Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson. I think the just the fatigue, how much time they're playing, plus playing in altitude, I think that got them, that affected their shots, all that stuff. But it's one of those things where they got to be mindful going forward. Like if you're going to run through John Morant in crunch time, You got to optimize floor spacing. And that means putting guys on the floor with him that teams are going to respect. I mean, teams are going to respect Grayson Allen and D'Anthony Melton throughout the course of a game, but what about in crunch time? Are they going to give them that same level of respect? I think that's where Jaron Jackson Jr. Really comes in at at that five position as well, because it just spreads out the entire floor for John Moran to work. And I mean, it, it was fun. I mean, seeing Ja just, he was going at Will Barton. He was going at Nikola Jokic. He was doing basically what you've been screaming at him to do
1: basically, all season yeah. on
0: Twitter. I mean, it, it just-
1: and, yeah, and I would like a little bit of a middle ground where, you know, I want him to be active and aggressive, but I also don't want him to pound the, the air out of the rock for the 20, full 24 seconds of the shot clock. But I don't really blame him for that. Um we need more late game creativity from Taylor Jenkins in that way. And Taylor Jenkins is a great coach. He's demonstrated that over the last two years, but out of time after timeout plays. And late game execution, I think he's demonstrated a little bit of a weakness for here, especially over this last stretch in the last month. And he had two opportunities to design a play for John Morant. The first one, John just kind of goes one on one. It doesn't really work out. That is what it is. And I want John Morant to take the last shot. But at the end of the first overtime, that play drove me absolutely crazy. Um, ja is working with Compazo on him one-on-one and I want to say it's Tillman that came up to set the screen, and he brought two defenders with him. You know they're going to trap him to get the ball out of his hands in that situation, and it was a design play. They came out of the timeout wanting that screen and roll. If Tillman just did it out of habit. That would be one thing, but that absolutely drove me crazy why Jenkins would draw that play up coming out of the timeout. Now, granted, it almost gave us the greatest highlight in NBA history of <laughs> putting down a putback dunk off his own miss for the win, but they can do better than that. He's got to do better than that and how they execute in late-game situations.
0: Right. now, I, I think it's fine. I mean, they're just a young team. They're going to get through it. I mean, this is going to be beneficial going forward, in my opinion. But, now, like, you, you would like to see better late-game execution. I think that's just going to come with time and personnel and experience whether that's just getting Jaron Jackson Jr. back out there to run some like pick-and-pop action to where it's like, oh, play the drive, but hey, you also got to respect the fact that Jaron Jackson Jr. is just lurking on the three-point line and he's ready to fire at any point. Or if you close out on Jaron, he can put the ball on the floor and go to the rim, Uh, whether it's just getting more confidence of reps for guys like DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain. I do think last night an underrated uh, missing element there. We already talked about you know, his but they miss Dylan Brooks. They miss yep. having a guy that can – that's a big physical wing, create his own shot, bother Will Barton and Michael Porter Jr., who they both went off for the Grizzlies last night. I think last night showed the value of Dylan Brooks too and just the fact that you need big physical wings that can create their own shot at three levels and that can bother defenders because you can't do it with 6'4", wing guard hybrids like d'anthony melton and grace Allen. no matter how well they played last night when it just Mm -hmm. comes down to it in crunch time situations you still need a little bit of size on the wing if you want to come away with the win sure yeah but uh we're going to get into one more thing i'll actually give you the choice here nate we can talk about d'anthony melton becoming just basically the next drew holiday or we can talk about the uh, quirky rotation decision last night at the end of the, uh, in the second half.
1: I think we can hit both really quickly because I just don't think there's a whole lot to say about Melton at this point. Um, There's not been a team, and you'll make fun of me for it, but there's not been a team, a player in recent NBA history who has had the increase in three-point percentage from one season to the next on the type of volume and attempts that Melton is taking like he has this year. Um, It's been absurd to see him take the leaps that he has as a three-point shooter. Um, He was getting into passing lanes. He had multiple steals last night. (sighs) He's 23 years old. I don't know what he's going to be, but I think he's going to be great. I think he's a core piece going forward. Um, I think you're going to reach a, a breaking point at some point where he's going to be too good, too, obviously good to not start anymore. And I think that'll be a really interesting discussion once that time comes. I mean, that discussion is even coming up even now, but if he is really, if he keeps taking leaps and developments in his game, do you start to talk about him as the centerpiece and a trade for another star? Because I don't think you can keep him in his current role for that much longer.
0: It's going to be interesting. Uh, Matt Moore, from, the, also known as Hardwood Paroxysm, had said that he's been saying on a recent podcasts, but he's just going to go ahead and place his money on D. Anthony Melton winning sixth man of the year next year. Pretty high praise. I, I think he'll probably be like the top five to ten in voting this year, hopefully, fingers crossed. But no, his the evolution of his game has just been such a fun thing to marvel at, like you said, with this three-point increase, not just from a percentage standpoint, but from a volume standpoint. I know I've highlighted how he's become more and more confident as a pull-up shooter. And as we saw last night in that first half, he was taking heat check threes from like 30 feet out.
1: And like I thought they were going in. I thought like his mechanics don't break down when he's shooting from like 25 feet.
0: It's it's so fun to watch. And I always say Drew Holiday because I've done some like statistical comparisons from year, like year three players. And Melton compares favorably to – Guys like Drew Holiday and Fred Van Fleet, is he going to be there? No, I don't know. But he's only 22 years old. Like He has that upside he can grow into, you know, like a very good starter on a very good team or maybe even a borderline all-star. I know we've always thrown out Marcus Smart out there as a comp, but if he keeps doing this, he's he's probably better than Smart.
1: Uh, he's been better than smart this year whether he's a totally better player than him going forward I guess it's up for debate but I think he's been unquestionably better than smart this year
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and so what that one last thing I want to get into before we close the show is so last night coach Taylor Jenkins he did not play Tyus Jones in the second half of the game and he said it was more of a rotation decision rather than a straight up like oh he was out he was just injured or just wasn't feeling well, whatever. And I, I think there's more to play to it. I know we talked about this before the podcast, but you didn't think that he played good. To be honest, I would even notice him out on the floor if that really indicates anything. And I love Ty's Jones, but I just didn't really notice him out there. And also, too, they really couldn't sit Conchar, who found some sort of run himself in the second half that probably sent Brandon Abraham with Doge to the, to the moon. And – I wonder if this is going to be something to monitor going forward, because as we saw in Miami, Winslow is better with the ball in his hands. So is this just kind of like, oh, this was just one game, flow of the game kind of thing, or do you actually see Tyus Jones out of the rotation?
1: First off, I think last night was kind of a unique situation, because on the other hand, I did notice him during that second quarter stint that he had, and he – was bad. Um, He was over three from the field. He had two turnovers, so he wasn't even taking care of the ball. Um, The biggest issue was the greatest asset that Tyus Jones brings is that even when he's not hitting floaters, even when he's not scoring or necessarily getting assists, he gets the Grizzlies into their offense. He gets them into their sets. And you got to see what it was like when he was not a part of the rotation in the Orlando bubble, how disjointed the Grizzlies bench looked offensively without him. And you, you, we were thinking like, man, he may be like the fourth most impactful player on this team. Um, here's the problem last night. Harrison, uh, Shaquille Harrison, Shaq Harrison for the Denver Nuggets, Harass the living heck out of him Tyus, oh, he's a really good defender yeah, he's a really good defender and Harrison was just harassing him every single time he got the ball past half court and so Tyus couldn't even get to a certain comfort level for himself to be able to even get the Grizzlies into their offense and if he can't do that then he doesn't really bring you any value of any kind he's not gonna he's not a good shooter the floater comes and goes. He's, a good, he's good in that little mid-range area with the floater that he's known for. He's shooting a higher percentage on it than he did last year, which is really surprising according to my eye test anyway. But when he's not making those types of shots and he can't get the Grizzlies into their offensive sets, he really doesn't provide much value. And so it really didn't surprise me when Taylor Jenkins decided to go away from him for the second half. Now, will that be a trend going forward? I would say probably not. I think last night was a unique circumstance, but I will say if Justice Winslow continues to struggle. As just a general offensive player in general in the second unit. And Taylor Jenkins is looking for ways to get him going. Maybe using him as the de facto backup point guard, having the ball in his hands like he did a good majority of the time back when he was in Miami may get him back to being what he used to be. And I've already expressed this opinion on the core four and I've written about it. I think Tyus Jones is in discussion to be the odd man out. I really think he is. When you go down that backcourt of the Anthony Milton, Desmond Bain, Grayson Allen, these are guys who have elite aspects to their skill set, and this is not something that Tyus Jones brings. Does he bring steadiness? Is he a good floor general? Yes. But I also think that Justice Winslow, someone that Zachary Kleiman has said, is a core piece going forward can also fill that role. And the Grizzlies have a lot more stake in getting as most out of Justice Winslow as they possibly can than they do Tyus Jones. So I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see him get phased out a little bit. And I won't be shocked if he's not a member of the team at the beginning of the 2021-22 season.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, in my my quick opinion, uh, John Morant, his minutes have taken a nice little uptick Kind of what everybody really wants to see. Everyone's complaining about minutes distribution and all that fun stuff. But since the all-star break, he's averaging 34 minutes a game, which leaves 14 open minutes for point guard minutes. Are you gonna take out floor spacing with a guy like Bain and play Tyus? Or are you just gonna like let it be by committee and trust guys like Justice Winslow and D'Anthony Melton? to just run that second unit while John Morant's out, because you can also play those guys with John Morant. So it's going to be interesting. Like you can probably come up with so many different line rotation combinations that they can roll out. And we're still probably wrong because everything's kind of kept close to coach Taylor Jenkins chess, but Nate, we're about running all out of time here. Just uh, plugging your stuff, let the people know
1: where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com.
0: Yep. Make sure you're following him. Don't cancel him and all that fun stuff. But you can follow me on Twitter at paka underscore Flocka. Follow the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies and read all the brilliant work at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, and downloading to the podcast so you can get every single episode of the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. GBB Live, 3 and D, and the Starting 5 podcast. That's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. With that, that's all, folks.